Greetings, everyone. This is Julio again, your host for my God and You podcast, YouTube channel. And this is another installment for my all-new Teach the Teacher meditation course. As usual, I got a lot of content that I want to share with you, so let's get to work. To begin, this is now Module 3, Lesson 2 where we're going to continue the theme of educational experiences with God. In this episode, I'm going to share knowledge concerning the branches of knowledge and educational experience with God concerning Matthew 6 and 12 and Luke 11, 4, where we see a difference in, in Matthew's account. It says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then in Luke's account of the same prayer lesson that Jesus taught, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Also in this episode, I'm going to include some knowledge concerning the difference between being a mature forgiver and being forgiven by God. And then we're going to go into some deep conversation concerning having conversations with God through your four inherent voices or thought processes. And then with that, how the art of asking questions can be used to extend conversations and education with God when you apply it. And then lastly, I want to share some information regarding mental, physical, and spiritual healing, including what may have originated in your life when you were in your mother's womb. I'm talking about trauma and generational stuff here. And then I'm also going to, and along the same lines, share some knowledge about anxiety and worry relief as part of the daily benefits package experience within your soul when you have taught yourself to hear and learn from God. And then also the repurposing of your former suffering for good. So before I go any further, let me encourage you that if what I share has been a blessing to you, please do me a favor and share it forward. If you haven't done so already, uh, you're welcome to subscribe to my podcast, YouTube channels, my Facebook pages, or wherever you find my content. And of course, if you're interested, you're welcome to comment. Uh, but especially if, if, if you enjoy my content, do me a favor and give it a like because I'm trying to do my best to get this uh, to the masses in, in a greater way. And that actually helps with the algorithm. So and that if it blesses you and if it doesn't bless you, of course, I'm not asking for a like. But what if I share it blesses you, please do me a favor and do those things for me. And I would greatly appreciate it if you would do so. So with that being said, let's get to work. Now let's begin with educational experiences with God concerning forgiveness, debts, debtors, and sins that we see in these two statements when Jesus was teaching the Our Father prayer template that he was teaching. Now remember, I want to remind you that Jesus would have never have taught something that he himself wasn't experiencing. So these things that I'm sharing with you are things that he was experiencing through his educational experiences with God where the scripture states that morning by morning he would experience these things according to the education that he would experience with God, which we find again in Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 and 5. So let's begin by examining educational experiences with God concerning forgiveness, debts, debtors, and sins that are mentioned in both Matthew's account and in Luke's account. Now if you'll, you'll notice here a difference on the slide here that in Jesus' 
template that he used to teach prayer, remember that Jesus would have not have taught something that he himself was not experiencing, especially as it relates to prayer. So it's important that we see both of these experiences because these are the things that, again, that when you really examine them, it really was a part of his Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 and 5 experiences. And you remember, uh, I mean, I've said this numerous times. In that portion of scripture in the book of Isaiah, we find that Jesus morning by morning would position himself to hear as the learn. And some of that hearing had to do with the topics that or the branches of knowledge that we see in this Our Father template. So, and you see that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12's account, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But then when you go to Luke's account in chapter 11, verse 4, and it says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So let's begin to examine from definitive root word perspectives what these four key words mean, which are debts, debtors, sin, and forgive, that I have highlighted here. So let's begin with debts. Now, of course, I'm going to contrive to pronounce these for you, but I'm just going to simply give you the definition. And as always, I always give you the pronunciation in all of my content, and I always show you the resource where I got my content from. That's the reason for all these little funny letters that you see here on a lot of my content. And my books are written in the same format, by the way. So depths. Now, from a Greek perspective, it simply means something that is owed. And that makes sense, right? If you owe somebody a debt, that means you owe somebody something, right? Uh, but when you translate it from its Greek to Hebrew, it becomes this Hebrew word, nasha. And it is described as an act of deception against someone else that may cause oppression. It also describes as what puts negative pressure on a relationship. And then within that same description, according to the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, it describes the remedy of these things as the removal of a debt through payment, forgetting, or forgiving. And this kind of makes sense. If you have a financial debt, uh, let's say you have a mortgage on a house, for example. Well, you owe them something. And of course, they ain't going to forget about it. But you pay that debt right through payments. Well, here, according to uh, Jesus' teaching, and this is going to be a very important to, to kind of keep in your mind concerning forgiveness. Notice what it says. It says the removal of a debt through payment, forgetting, and of course, the theme of part of this episode is forgiving. Now, a debtor, of course, this is the person. This is what the Bible describes as an ower or a transgressor or deceiver or one who has not yet made amends to whom they have injured. In other words, this is you know, someone that has done you wrong that the Bible classifies as a transgressor or a deceiver, and they may have not yet or may never make amends for somehow of them causing you some type of harm, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, and this can be any form of trauma. 
Now, when we translate that Greek to Hebrew, again, we have that same definition, nasha. And again, as mentioned before concerning debts, it's described in terms of the remedy process is the removal of a debt through payment, forgetting, or forgiving. Now, let's go into sin. Now, of course, you've heard me talk about this over and over and over again. Actually, it's, uh, sin is actually becoming one of the most uh, interesting, and uh, I know some people are going to have a challenge with this. One of my favorite words that I've learned concerning uh, biblical content, because it has opened up a revelation of insight into what sin really is, compared to what I was traditionally taught through my traditional religious experience. And you'll see that more as we go along here. Now, the word sin here, from its Greek perspective, is simply defined, and you'll see this also in the Hebrew perspective, which is interesting. It's defined as to miss the mark. Some translations will, uh, in terms of study research, will say to miss the target. And the reason why it's described that way, it's actually a, uh, what I refer to as a word picture or a word visualization of an archer pulling back his arrow to hit a bullseye or a target. In other words, if you hit the round part of the bullseye, then you've hit, that's the goal. In other words, you've hit the, the mark that you're trying to shoot. Well, in this case, what is the mark, when, according to sin, to miss the mark? Well, the mark is God's will, and it's His known will by hearing it from Him directly within your mind. That's the goal. You always want to know God's will for every facet of your life, and you want to eventually experience it or know it by you hearing from Him concerning it for every aspect of your life in your own mind. So in other words, we don't want to assume what his will is. That's dangerous. In other words, God will reveal and teach you what is sin or evil in your life. And remember, we will never be sinless, but God will definitely teach you how to sin less in every area of your life. Now let's go into the word forgive. This is again, a powerful word when you understand its deep meaning. And it's actually been one of the understandings, once I understand the deeper meanings of it, that has caused so much healing in my life. Now, the word forgive, from its Greek perspective, simply means to send forth or away. Interesting. In other words, when you forgive some, somebody for something, what you're doing is you're sending forth or away that violation that they've committed in your life. And where you're sending it away from is within your mind, primarily in your heart. In other words, it no longer becomes a hindrance to you. Now, when we translate it from its Greek to Hebrew definition, it becomes this word salah. And it's defined as to pardon someone and to lift someone out of debt. The ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, and this is where it gets deep describes the word forgive as the word baton. You know, uh, for those of us that know about running and when they pass the baton, that metal stick, when runners are, are running in series, right? It, this is very powerful. What you're doing is you're passing the baton to someone else. In this case, God, you're giving it to God. With, you no longer, you've already ran your course with it for a lack of a better expression. And the reason why 
I'm saying that is because of how it's described according to the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible. So baton is described as what makes someone whole, complete, and mature. So in other words, when you forgive someone for something, you actually pass that off to God, that actually helps to induce a wholeness, a completeness, and a maturation process between you and God, where now you become, for a lack of a better expression, a mature forgiver. And interestingly, this definition for the word baton is the same definition for the word perfect that we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where there Jesus instructed, therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. For those of you who have been following me or, or have been learning from me, you know what I've taught about this. Perfect here is not a reference to being flawless. Those are Webster's dictionaries and other dictionaries, Oxford's and all that stuff. That's that definition. The word perfect here is when, when Jesus said, therefore be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Remember where the heaven is that we must be experiencing is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven within our minds. In other words, that's where the perfecting or the maturation takes place. So part of that forgiveness process is when God is schooling you on how and who and, and why and all of the nuances concerning forgiveness in your life, that's experiencing spiritual maturation. Once you apply what God teaches you concerning it, then you become, and I don't like to use this word, but it's the best way I can describe it, is a professional forgiver. In other words, any offense or anything that people do to you, it's like a former pastor that I used to be under. He used to say, that's like a, a drop of water running off a duck's back. You know, in other words, it doesn't really penetrate your heart. You understand why they did it, whether it was intentional or unintentional, but what you do is you accurately deal with the offense almost immediately in many cases. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time where you might be pained or hurt by something that was done to you, but when God educates you concerning that offense or, or that thing that they did to you, again, whether it was intentional or unintentional, you begin to heal and not allow that to penetrate your psyche and how, and then so that it doesn't negatively affect your spiritual maturation process. Now, with that being said, let's look at the difference between being a mature forgiver and being forgiven by God. Now, on this slide again, I have the definition for the word forgive. Remember, according to the, its uh, ancient Hebrew lexicon version, which is the, the word baton again, and it's again, what makes someone whole, complete, and mature. Now, we have an interesting thing to kind of examine here because in the prayer template when Jesus was teaching this according to Matthew's version in chapter 6 concerning forgiveness Jesus says it this way for if you forgive other people when they sinned against you your your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins this sounds like a conditional forgiveness issue. How can this be when 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 teaches that all we have to do is confess our sins and that God will forgive us? And we see that here. Let me read it. Verse 8, 
1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in verse 10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Remember that word, word, there is a specific reference to logos. And I'm going to explain that. But let me reexamine some of this that we just read. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, that if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. But yet we have this other portion of scripture where it simply says all we have to do is confess our sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And here goes the key and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember what righteousness is. Righteousness, remember Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And where did he say this kingdom was? Within your mind. So in other words, when we're experiencing unrighteousness, we're not experiencing the right words from God himself. I hope that makes sense. And the reason why I bold in here, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word or his logos is not in us because there is a, uh, an indoctrination process. You know, some people call it the grace theory or doctrine that, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, they, they take that verse where he talks about washed his blood, washed away the sins. But yet the Bible clearly states that we're sinners. And it even says here, as we read here, that if we say that we don't, that where you have no sin within us, that we make God to be a liar, right? So what, where is the difference here? Why does it seem as though Matthew chapter 6 and John, 1 John's version kind of seems contradictory? Well, it's not. The answer is because of the education experience we've got concerning forgiveness and sin. In other words, remember, that is what makes someone whole, complete, and mature. So if you ask God to forgive you for something, he's definitely going to forgive you. But we need to take that forgiveness further by being educated by God concerning that offense, that debt, that thing that we're asked, you know, that we're trying to forgive that person for. And how does that happen? Through righteousness. In other words, hearing the right words within our minds pertaining to that event in our life. And to follow that thought, I also wanted to revisit something that I shared with you a couple of episodes ago concerning the word logos. We have to have a different perspective about it as well because logos is just not the Bible. We all have an inner word. The Bible calls it the engrafted word that is able to save your souls, interestingly. And we're going to re, uh, revisit that in a future episode, by the way. For the word, and this is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a what? A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So re-examining this, for those of you who have seen the prior episode when I taught about this, we see that this issue comes up again because of what happens here in 1 John, where it says, 
if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word, logos, is not in us. Well, we know it's in us because, again, as I mentioned before, the Bible describes it as the engrafted word that saves our soul. And the reason why the Bible says it's not in us is because we're not allowing God to be the discerner. Remember, he is the word. He is the logos that reveals a story. Remember the book that I, I, I share with you uh, in prior episodes? That's the book. In other words, it's God's will for your life. And remember, Jesus had the same experience. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 and 7. And I'm, you know, I'm going to keep repeating these things to keep them in your mind, to keep them, you know, once again, uh, to keep you thinking about, you know, the, the totality of experiencing God in terms of how Jesus, the human, experienced God. The Bible says, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, that he came in the volume of the book that was written about him to do the will of God. In other words, that was his logos. So part of that, him experiencing that logos morning by morning to hear as to learn, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5, would have been content related to how the will of God lined up with the human will that maybe he may have even been struggling with whether we believe that or not. So it's always the nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done is how Jesus did life. And this is what we have to do. So what is that inner logos? It is the discerner or the thought critic. You know, that's how the Bible describes it by definition. God is a critic. In other words, when, when you're, you have something that you want to do, that's your will, that's your desire, and God begins to kind of compare it to what his will or what his logos or what, his, what he has authored for your life, that's where the, the critic comes to life. That's where he begins to use what the Bible refers to as the voice of reasoning, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, concerning that. In other words, God begins to school you. Are you sure you want to do that? Because let me tell you why that might be a good ideal or it might be a bad ideal. You know, in other words, God begins to show you how what the thoughts and intents of your heart are compared to the thoughts and intents of his heart concerning his will for your life. And how we know that is because of the definition of the word quick. Remember that when we examine the word quick, what it was defined as is not something related to speed necessarily, but the word quick there, according to the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, means what rescues, saves, revives, recovers, nourishes, repairs, provides sustenance, in other words, feeding, and provides promised life. That's what your logo does. It's always rescuing you from ignorance. It's always rescuing you from trauma. It's always rescuing you from some form of either intentional or unintentional suffering that we bring upon ourselves or that someone else imposed upon us, whether it's intentional or unintentional, but it also reveals the sufferings that God has assigned to our lives. Those are the sufferings that we want to experience. And remember, with those sufferings always comes an education from God concerning how to fulfill them. And for those of you who are interested, I have a video concerning that, concerning, it's on my YouTube channel, concerning the three types of suffering that we experience in life. And then definition of the word discerner in Hebrew chapter four, verse 12, 
and I've kind of described this already, but a discerner is a writer or a scribe. Remember, God is the author of His will for your life, and it's also described as an advocating judge who restores life. And then what is also described as is what it's required to experience dominion on the earth. Powerful thought process there. So I'm going to let that sit there so that you can, again, go back to the prior lessons concerning what I teach, concerning what the kingdom of God is and dominion and all that, and you'll get better enlightenment concerning what that dominion is truly all about. But really, as a summarization, it's just about you living the will of God for every aspect of your life. In other words, it's preferable, his preferable will for your life. That's how you experience dominion on the earth. Now, let's switch gears here. Now, in those processes that I just described you concerning forgiveness and debts and debtors and sins, part of that process that you'll experience when you're learning how to hear the voice of God as an educational experience through conversations what you'll notice is what the Bible describes as these four inherent voices or thought processes. For those of you who are new to me, remember, a voice that is happen with, happening within the mind should be better understood as a thought process. Remember, I shared with you before, how does God speak through thoughts? Remember, Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts at what? I think where? What direction? Toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future or expected end. Well, where is this towardness happening? You can't get more toward hearing or experiencing God than within your mind through, again, thoughts. So let's examine these four inherent voice or thought process from an educational experience when God is experienced as an educator. And remember, the theme of the Our Father template, the main topics or branches of knowledge are God's will, debts, sins, trespasses, temptation, evil, and forgiveness. Now, some of these words, depending on your translation, may be a little bit different, but primarily there's seven branches of knowledge. Some places, again, use the word trespasses, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode, by the way. Now, let's begin to examine your inherent voice or thought process. As I revealed to you or I shared with you in the last episode, this is your spirit voice. This is the voice within you that validates you as an offspring of God. Psalms 82 and 6 says, and this is God speaking, inspired by Isaiah to write, I said you are God's and you are all children of the Most High. And by the way, on a side note, I'm, I am amazed at how many believers don't believe this verse, you know, uh, because they keep putting the Almighty. In other words, how can we be gods? We're not talking about the Almighty. You're just an extension of Him. If you're His child, if you're His offspring, spiritually speaking, in other words, your spirit comes from Him. That's what makes you a God. But little g, it's an offspring. And for those of you who are interested, I have some deep content primarily in the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed related to this topic. So your voice or your spirit voice, this is the thought process of your Godness. In other words, it's your divinity. This is when you're having conversations with God, this is who is speaking. So in other words, when you learn to have conversations with God, that's your spirit speaking to God. It's a spirit to spirit, God to God, what I refer to as a self to self 
experience. But little g and big G, big S, small s. Remember, capital S, small s. So let's not get it twisted, please. But my point is this, is that we have to embrace our divinity because that's part of the mind training that we have to go through. In other words, like Jesus, we have to also not you know, consider as robbery of being equal with God. And the reason why I bring that up is that we will never be the supreme, the almighty. Remember, that's capital G. But we are equal with God, especially in the area of discernment, of knowledge of good and evil that I shared with you in prior episodes. That's part of God making us in his image and in likeness to know the difference between good and evil, what is functional and what is dysfunctional for every facet of your life. And, you know, just as a little side note, how does that happen? Again, through conversations and in education with God within your mind. So your voice or your thought, that thought process, your spirit voice is what makes God your father. It's what qualifies, validates, and equips you to have face-to-face experiences with God. So when you see in the Bible that people had these face-to-face experiences with God, it happened within their mind. In other words, their spirit was communing with the Spirit of God within their mind. This is the student that we need to develop in an environment of undistracted silence to become a father impersonator like Jesus, to do his will for your life according to God's will for your life, not Jesus's will for your life. In other words, I don't want Jesus's will. That was his assigned life. In other words, I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to go through the things because it's not for me. That's not God's will for my life. So how do we become father impersonators? By hearing his will, learning what it is, hearing him instruct us how to fulfill it, and that way we become a father impersonate. We impersonate the father in our body. So you see me, you see the father, but according to the will of God for my life. And again, I want to remind you that this is what we're trying to develop within our minds. This is the student. In other words, this is the one that we have to be more conscious and experience. This is part of that process that I share with you. When you position your body in silence, To experience God as a teacher, your your body now becomes God's educational temple. Your soul becomes the classroom of God. That's within your mind, by the way. And through that process, you are positioning your spirit to be the student of God. This is how we get discipled by God personally. And the reason why most of us have never been taught to experience this is because we haven't received Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, nor Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 type of training. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he or she should go. So when they're old, they won't de- de- depart from it. That word child. Some translators will say he is actually a reference, not to the male gender, it's actually a reference to your spirit. So when you train up a child in the way he or she should go, you're training them how to go within their mind in order to experience the way. In other words, it's God's prescribed path for their life. So if they do deviate from that in some form of life, uh, some part of their life, then 
when they are old, they won't depart from it. You, it becomes, you know, uh, it comes back to you. In other words, this used to work for me. This is how I was hearing and learning from God. It's kind of like the prodigal son story, for lack of a better expression. You now come back to your father's house. You, you, you now uh, uh, gain your senses again, you know what I'm saying? Or you experience God consciousness within your mind. So that's really what Proverbs 22 and 6 is all about. And again, uh, a little commercial here. I have a video on that on my YouTube channel that you're welcome to check out concerning the depth of what that verse is truly teaching. Now concerning your spirit voice, I have given you an example. I always had this thought process and from the very beginning, this is back in 1989, when I was sitting in church and learning and I was in a Pentecostal environment and that environment blessed me compared to how my, my former life uh, was, uh, how I was living it, but they blessed me in a lot of different ways. But I always had this thought process when I was in that environment and, and in subsequent environments for over 20 years that there has to be more to God and my life than what I'm currently experiencing. And that was my spirit voice. In other words, that was that part, that void that we talk about when we have a void of God in life. It's not that God is not within our minds. It's just that we haven't taught or trained our minds to experience him as an educator for every facet of our life. So if you've ever had that thought process like, you know, and, and, and you're, you know, following the traditional church experience. And again, there's nothing truly totally wrong with that. I got to do this little commercial about this. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. What I'm saying is that you have to understand the limitation of what churches teach us in most cases. Most churches will not teach you how to hear the voice of God. They are whether it's intentional or unintentional, they're teaching and training you how to hear the voice of the shepherd that is behind the pulpit, you know, and yet we're supposed to be conditioned and trained how to hear the inner shepherd. More on that in a future episode. Now let's go into the voice of God. Now this is a given. Now John chapter 16, verse 13, this is that same voice within you that Jesus said will show and tell you all things. This is that same voice within you that instructs us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is that same voice that Jesus said, for one is your teacher Christ, according to Matthew chapter 23, verse 10, which is the reason why he doesn't, he tells and instructs us to not call other people our rabbi or our teacher. Remember that? So it's a lot of depth. This is why when titles are so, uh, 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 for lack of a better expression, they're so misleading. When a, when a, when a, a religious leader puts a title in front of his name, they're, miss, they're missing the mark. They're, they're, they're actually, uh, and I know this is going to sound strange, they're sinning because of the fact of what Jesus said that we shouldn't do. The reason why he said don't call one your rabbi, and remember Jesus was exposed to many that would, he would experience in his development process as a child. And I share more knowledge about that, of course, primarily in the mystery, a mystery of prayer revealed and the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed. Yet the rabbi he was always positioning himself before was the teacher, the Christ within him. Remember what the Christ is, is that redeeming or saving or rescuing function. More on that later as well. And the reason why I say that when, when religious leaders put titles in front of their names that clearly Jesus instructed us not to do, is because what it does, it puts a veil, it puts a block between you and God. And how you know that veil is present is whether or not that ministry is teaching and training you how to go within your mind. And remember, those five things that we consider as the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher are functions. 
That's what they are. They're gifts, as the Bible describes you, uh, describes them. So when you experience a true fivefold minister, they're teaching you how to experience the inner fivefold ministry of Christ within you. No title needed. And remember, Jesus functioned in the same way. That, that's why he wasn't classified as an apostle. That's the reason why he didn't want to be considered as an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, or even an evangelist, even though he was. And he was functioning in those gifts. So more information about that. Uh, a little commercial here. I have two chapters in the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed. You know, uh, that talks or that teaches about the difference between the human fivefold ministry and the, the fivefold ministry of Christ. You read those two chapters and you'll understand where I'm coming from. And as a little freebie, I don't have it here. For those of you who are interested, contact me at my email contact information at julio at julioalvaradojr.com and I'll send you for free those two PDF chapters in a PDF form, I should say, concerning the fivefold ministry and what it's really about. Now, concerning the voice of God, Remember, this is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and verses 26 and 27 teach about. This is that same anointing that teaches you, where you have no need for anyone else to teach you. And it doesn't mean that someone else can't, you can't learn from somebody. But remember, my little saying, you know, allow, you can learn from many, but only allow one to teach you. In other words, teach your, once you get this knowledge about teaching yourself, your, your mind, how to experience the mind of God, you're now crossing the border. Remember like the content that I shared about that? And you're experiencing the teacher within, the anointed one. The one that once you experience him as an educator for every facet of your life, who, who else do you need to teach you, especially concerning spirituality? Now, I'm not saying you should stop learning from other people. Uh, I still have people that I learn from, but this is not what this verse is teaching. It's talking about Christ being the teacher concerning what? Mainly the will of God for your life and those other six branches that I had mentioned in the prior episode. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, and Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is the same voice. I will put my laws into the where? The inward parts, and in their minds I will do what God says. I will write them. There goes that book again, by the way. There goes that author. Now, the Bible just simply describes it as a book. I'm not saying that you have an actual physical book in your mind, but that's just simply the way that God describes it. So when you position yourself to hear and learn from God every day of your life, it's like one page, next page is being revealed to you, next day another page, next day another page, and then chapters begin to happen. And again, there's a lot of depth concerning what that experience is all about and, and, and why Jesus had one written about him as well. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 7. And then of course, this is ultimately referring to the voice of the shepherd within you. John chapter 10 verse 27, my sheep do what? They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Most people follow the human shepherd, unfortunately. But yet my sheep hear my voice, like in the last episode. Trust me, study sheep. And you'll find out why Jesus used the word sheep, why he didn't use the word goats. And I'm telling you, it'll bless you. Now let's look at the voice of reasoning, which is interesting. You'll find references to this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and in Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Notice what the voice of reasoning is all about. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. In other words, let's talk about this. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, let me explain that a little bit. This is more of a metaphor. Same thing with the Hebrews 4 and 12, where it talks about the, the, the discerner, how it divides the joints and the marrows, marrows and all this other stuff that, you know, the dividing between the spirit and the soul. It's actually an, an analogy of how powerful it is once you experience it. But the primary topic of discussion when you're experiencing the voice of reasoning is sense. In other words, missing the mark, not knowing the will of God for your life concerning all of these other aspects that I'm sharing with you throughout this series. So how do, do your sins become like scarlet, white, snow, and crimson or as wool? How does this happen? Well, First of all, through God's forgiveness and revelations and instructions concerning them. The thought process, this is a thought process that reveals effective remedies or solutions or the best preferable outcome concerning any matter in your life. This is the part of the mind where we experience what some refer to as intellect, logic, and analysis. And it's also a source of wisdom. It's part of the mind or the thought process where it gives us the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. In other words, when you're experiencing this on your own without God, this is how you figure things out. You know how the pros and cons, you know, if I, if I make this decision, you know, what, what, what's, what's the pros and what's the cons? That's the voice of reasoning. But yet there is a process when you experience this voice of reasoning. Remember, let us come together, says the Lord. God is actually schooling you on what his preferable will is, what his remedy is, what his prescribed path is. Otherwise, you will be guilty of missing the mark. In other words, not fulfilling what his preferable will is for your life. And when I talk about sins, I'm not talking about hell. I'm not talking about what's going to keep you out of heaven. For those of you who have followed me, who have seen my former teachings concerning this, I'm simply referring this word or using this according to its original definition its original purpose, and how God will school you on this very important topic. So when you're experiencing in your mind the voice of God by experiencing the voice of reasoning, in other words, counseling or having conversations with Him, you're now acquiring knowledge from Him that now a lot of times converts into skills that you acquire through that process of knowledge so that you can use that same process for future events that might be happening concerning similar events. Now let's go into the voice of evil. Now this is what the Bible describes as the, the flesh or the carnal mind. Romans chapter 7 verse 21. I've shared knowledge with this before, and of course, as usual, I'm going to mention it again, I have content related to this experience, primarily in the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed, where Paul said, for evil is present with me. Now again, it's important to remember that God is the creator and educator of evil. If you read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, it says that God creates evil. He says, I create peace and evil. I do all these things. And again, I give details concerning this process as to why God created evil and all these other things in prior episodes, primarily in my series that I have concerning the Garden of Eden. And if this is your first time listening to me, there's a, I'm going to give you two quick examples of how God created evil. 
First of all, if you believe that he created this angel and he came on earth and became a serpent and all this other stuff, well, God would have known that that was going to happen all along because he's all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. Remember, he's the Alpha and the Omega, right? So he would have known that. So if he created this, 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 this angel who supposedly became this serpent, right, or this devil, well, then he would have known that. So that's his first creation of evil. And then let's take this to the garden now. When he created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see that again? In other words, that's his second creation of evil that we have in the scriptures. And there's, and there's plenty of other content in the Bible concerning where God manifested evil. But it's not an evil again that originates from this demonic being that we call a devil. We have to understand that a little bit different. And again, I'm going to share a little bit more knowledge about that in this episode. But I'm telling you, it will bless you if you understand the deeper meanings of the word sin and evil. And in doing so, you'll, you'll discover why God created it. He created it for educational purposes. And this is the reason why I say here that whatever God creates, he must educate. So to understand this better... It would be more constructive to have a different perspective concerning the word evil based on its actual definition again, its inherent potential, and its ultimate purpose. It is also helpful to look at the Jewish perspective concerning evil and the devil, which is definitely more accurate and makes more sense than what traditional Christian perspectives are concerning them. And I've shared knowledge with you before concerning those uh, things concerning the Jewish perspective. And this is stuff you can Google search, by the way, and you'll see what the Jewish perspective is and what their perspective concerning what evil is as an inherent part of our, our psyche and how we need to be educated by God concerning it and all that stuff makes a lot more sense than just being something that comes from a demonic or a devil being. You know, and what happens is when we view it from that perspective, when we understand it from that, according to humanistic teachings, well, then all we do is we're constantly sin conscious, sin conscious, sin conscious. We don't want to be sin conscious. We want to be sin taught by God, sin educated by God so that we can remove that and always experience a God consciousness for every area of our life. Now, in Romans chapter seven, verses 18 through 23. Paul has some deep things to say about this. Remember, this is after his conversion process. This is after he now began to hear the voice of God for his own life. But look what he says. For now I know that in me, that is in my flesh. He's not talking about the body. We keep saying the flesh is the body, and it is. But there's also this carnal mind that is also what some refer to as the fleshly mind. He's talking about that serpent brain mentality that I, I schooled you on, right? I searched, shared some education concerning the triune brain function. You know, and I, of course, won't go into in this episode, but if you go into the Garden of Eden uh, four-part series that I have on my YouTube channel, you'll get more knowledge of that. But he's talking about a part of his mind, not his entire flesh. He says, in that part of his mind, no good thing dwells. For to will is present with me. Talking about to will, in other words, to do the will of God, right? But how to perform that which is good, I find not. So in other words, when he's in this serpent mentality, what happens? You can't discover the will of God for your life. Now, in verse 20, he says, now, if I do what I will not to do, remember, this is concerning evil, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In other words, 
Evil is anything that is not in alignment with the will of God that causes you to miss the mark. In other words, what he's really saying is here is if I don't get an education from God concerning this event or matter in my life, then it's very possible that I will sin. This is the reason why he said that evil is present with me. And truth be told, evil is present with all of us. This is why the beautiful thing about the inherent voice of evil, by what I mean by that, to give you a different description, is when you experience God as an educator concerning evil, that's the voice of evil. It's a thought process that you actually get schooled by God concerning evil and what is sin for your life. Remember, whatever God creates, he must educate. Now, I'm talking about the carnal mind also. And the flip side or the other side is this, which Paul was describing here, by the way. When you're not being schooled or educated by God, then the voice of evil is really on autopilot for every area of our lives, whether we realize it or not. In other words, dysfunction, not knowing the will of God. This is what the Bible refers to as the carnal mind or the flesh mind that he's describing here. It's that part of our mind is actually what's referred to as a serpent brain. For those of you who uh, want to study this out, look at the triune brain theory. And when you, once you understand what he was teaching through that theory, you'll see that in the mind, even though we have different parts of the brain and all the inward parts and all that stuff, he puts the, the brain in three different categories. Some refer to it as that top part that I mentioned uh, is the Adam brain. The middle part is the Eve brain. And then the, the, the lower part of the brain is a serpent brain. And which is interesting, when you look at that and you line up what, what happened in the garden, this will make more sense. That's why, again, trust me, you want to check out that series that I have concerning the Garden of Eden to get more clarity concerning this. Now in verse 21, he says, I find then a law. Notice what he calls it, a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's talking about being schooled by the Spirit of God. That's the inward man. That's the inward spirit. That's the he of Proverbs 22 and 6 that I mentioned earlier. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. It's referring to your spirit man, if you want to use that term. It's developing your spirit. Let me read that again. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The law of God is another expression for hearing the voice of God. Remember what law does. It creates order. So when you're experiencing the law of righteousness, same thing, the right word. When you're experiencing the law of God, God is speaking to you, creating order in your life. And then in verse 23, he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So again, he calls it a law that is warring against the law of my mind. What is the law of my mind? He's talking about, again, hearing, experiencing the mind of God as a teaching spirit. So there's always this inner battle going on. And this is the reason why when you train your mind to experience the mind of God, that battle becomes less and less and less and less doesn't it mean that you doesn't mean that you're never going to experience uh, issues that you're not going to sin of course you know uh, but it what it does mean is that again you're going to sin less you're going to experience less evil less dysfunction in your life and what does this warring in our mind do if we don't settle it and win that war by 
hearing the voice of God for every aspect of our life, it'll bring us into captivity to the law of sin, which is in our members. And what is the law of sin? Well, just like the law of God or the the, uh, law of my mind is a reference to hearing the mind or the voice of God pertaining to every aspect of your life. Well, the law of sin is that serpent brain mentality that I keep mentioning here. So again, uh, as another uh, a reminder, if you're interested in what this whole law of sin is and what the, the serpent brain is all about and how why Paul said that evil is present with me, check out that series that I have concerning the Garden of Eden that is, you can find easily on my YouTube channel. Now, continuing the theme of having conversations with God, let's not go into uh, the mental, physical, and spiritual healing, including what may have originated in your life when you were in your mother's womb. And I'm talking about, again, uh, uh, trauma and also generational stuff. The Bible talks about iniquities transferred up into the fourth generation. And then also about anxiety and worry relief as part of the daily benefits package within your soul. I have a video that I want to advertise here. It's called The Five Most Important Days of Your Life. And in that video, I share with you, I call them days, but it's moments actually that we experience, that we have to understand in order to understand the totality of life as it is, why evil is present and and why God is inherently present and and, and all these other things. And, And these five moments or days are this. First of all, we have to understand the day that God created you as a spirit. This is your spiritual birth. This is your first birth, by the way. The second day or moment that you have to understand in a much more detailed way is the day that you were conceived in your mother's womb. And whether you were planned, unplanned, it doesn't matter. Number three is the the day or the moment where your natural birth actually takes place. This is actually your second birth. And then number four is the day you decide to experience your born again experience. And by born again, I mean, remember, if something was born again, I mean it was birth first, right? Before. So in other words, remember, first birth experience is when you were in the mind of God as an ideal. When the Bible describes, I think it was in the book of Ephesians, how the Bible describes that he had us all in him from before the foundations of the world. In other words, that's where God created created our Psalms 82 verse 6 experience. This is the gods and the children of the Most High. And then it gets birthed out from your mother's womb. That's your second birth again. So day four is when you experience your born again experience. And what I mean by that is experiencing the first birth environment within your mind. And the reason why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God within you to experience his righteousness. Remember the right words for every area of your life. And then the fifth moment or the fifth day that we must always be aware of. This is something that we should be experiencing every day. And that is when we practice what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and also what the daily bread experience of the Our Father template that I share with you knowledge before concerning and what I'm doing now. In other words, we should be experiencing a Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 experience. And and by the way, after I'm done with this series, which is going to be about two, maybe three more episodes, this is what I'm going to go into is really breaking down Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Why did Paul say, uh, you know, that we must become a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service? I'm telling you, it's going to bless you. I'm going to show you scriptural content where he got that from and how you can actually be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you can understand what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. Remember, good is knowledge, acceptable is understanding from God, and, 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 and the perfect will, the mature will, is when you're being schooled by God. It lines up with the, the, uh, the, the 30, 60, and 100-fold of the parable of the seed and the sower. 30, again, it's a reference to experiencing knowledge from God. This is when God is giving you revelation concerning something. The 60-fold or the acceptable will of God is when He is ex explaining to you what that knowledge is all about. He's giving you more details. That's, that's a 60. That's the acceptable. But the perfect or the 100-fold is when God now is revealing to you wisdom. In other words, this is the how-to. This is how I want you to think, and this is what I want you to do. In other words, this is when you're getting the totality of an education from God concerning everything of your life, whether it's sin, evil, uh, the will of God, purposes, uh, former life sufferings, healing from things that happened in your mother's womb, uh, and more details, by the way, on that coming in a subsequent episode. So all of that, this is when you're experiencing the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So again, uh, be looking out for that lesson following me finishing this series. Now, Concerning the daily benefits that I've mentioned a couple times, Psalms chapter 68, verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with what? Benefits. And it says, The God of our salvation. Let me read that again. Blessed be the Lord who daily, how often? Daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Now, daily, if you're breathing, daily, if you're eating, daily, if you're experiencing life, you know, in a holistic way, then those are benefits, of course. But this is not the benefits that I'm referring to. I'm talking about the benefits of experiencing God daily within your mind as an educator. Let's look at this. And remember, and this verse is, it describes God as the God of salvation. Most people put the, the term or the topic of salvation as an end of life experience, going to heaven, all that. No, no, we miss it. Salvation is experienced every single day. Remember the rescuer? Remember all that that I mentioned to you before in what the definition was? Well, we should be getting rescued from ignorance and, and, and not knowing the will of God for our lives every single day by experiencing God as an educator within our minds. So salvation is not only an end-of-life experience. Interestingly, it should be a daily experience. And how? Well, give us this day our daily bread experiences. That's how we begin to experience all of the benefits that I'm describing here. And remember, when God is described as, uh, when the scripture says that God describes God as, as our salvation, this is that Christ or that Redeemer function of that triune name that I have taught you about in prior episodes. And of course, that I have written about in my books concerning the Our Father prayer, you know, and the, and the Great Commission. I go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I won't explain that all here. But that's when you're experiencing Christ as an inner Savior. In other words, He's rescuing you from something. And it doesn't matter what it is. He's always trying to rescue you from that so that He can put you or describe to you what His will is pertaining to that event or circumstance in your life. So where does this education happen? It happens within the classroom of your mind, your soul. According to Psalms 139, verses 17 through 18, it describes it this way. 
How precious also are your thoughts to me. Notice, here goes, this is how God speaks, through thoughts. So again, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. But this verse here, the latter part of this verse, when it says, when I awake, that means not when you wake up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not what this verse is teaching. In other words, when you become conscious with God, when you experience what people, some people refer to as the awakening within, and how does it happen? It happens through stillness. I am still with you. In other words, when I'm still with God, experiencing God as an educator, then what happens? The benefits, the sum total of what He wants to reveal to me for that particular day or for whatever it is in my life is experience. He's rescuing me. God is rescuing you every time you experience the Our Father template. And by the way, on that template, I'm not saying, and, I, and this is kind of a commercial, that you should experience, you know, repeat it. It's not really meant to be repeated. It's meant to be experienced morning by morning to hear as the learn, just like Jesus experienced it as a human being. Now, again, concerning the soul, Psalms 139, 14 says it this way. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous and my soul knows it very well. And again, the soul is the educational environment within our minds. That's where you experience the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the inward parts that I talked about before and all of these interesting things that the way the Bible describes experiencing the anointing within you, it all happens within your soul. In other words, your mind. Now concerning anxiety or worry, Philippians 4, 6-7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer. Remember, prayer is a conversation with God. It's not just you talking to God, it's you having conversation with God. And supplication with thanksgiving, supplication is the requesting. In other words, when God is talking to you and you're talking to Him, God is going to teach you what you can supplicate about, in other words, what you can request. And, how, and of course, when you experience that, there's, not, there's no other way to experience it. You experience gratitude. So let me read that again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. In other words, having conversations with God and supplicating. In other words, requesting what He has revealed to you. As a result, you're going to experience a thankful heart or an attitude of gratitude or gratefulness. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Now concerning accurate supplications, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 reveals this. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything, what? According to His will, He hears us. Notice, anything, but it has to be according to His will. But if you want to know the will of God for your life, you must hear it. And once you hear it, then you know what you have the right to ask for or pray for. So this is interesting. Uh, and again, I share with you another resource. I have a video on my website, or excuse me, on my YouTube channel that is called How I Now Get All of My Prayers Answered. Every prayer that I've experienced now, now that I know and I'm knowing, continue knowing the will of God for my life, I know how to 
ask or supplicate or request. And many times when, when I know what those are, sometimes it takes mental and physical action. When God reveals to me something that I have the right to do uh, or to pray for because it's in His will, sometimes it's a matter of me changing my mind about something, my perspective, or it actually requires steps, things that I have to work out. These are these works that you hear me talk about here and there. In other words, when I experience this, I'm experiencing again God's faith. In other words, I'm experiencing a belief system that will always be coupled with some type of works. This is the faith without works is dead. In other words, you can believe in something from God, but if you ha He hasn't revealed to you the works concerning it, it will never come to life. So this is why the book of James talks about faith and works being partners. In other words, you can't disconnect them when you're experiencing faith from God. This is also the Romans chapter 10, verse 17 aspect too. Faith comes by what? By hearing the rhema, the word of God. And, and that's how you experience faith from God. Remember, faith is described five ways in the scriptures. Again, knowledge of that in my books. Uh, but the main type of faith that we ultimately want to experience is experiencing God's faith for our life. In other words, belief systems pertaining to every aspect of our life that, again, when, once God reveals them to you, and you begin to believe them, he'll also school you on how to manifest them out of your life. So to personalize this a little bit, at the beginning of my learning and experiencing these benefits, there was so much healing and understanding of my life sufferings and remedies that God taught me uh, concerning them. Uh, and now, you know, I've gotten, kind of gotten to the place where more it's, it's more of a maintenance experience for me. I had a lot of healing to do when I began to hear the voice of God, I mean, I was totally messed up. And even though if I was to describe you my life, you know, I was blessed. I mean, I had a great job. I had uh, no issues, you know, uh, with my, my, my wife. And I mean, it was just, I live outside, it looked beautiful. But inside of my mind, remember my spirit, what it was always telling me, there has to be more to my life, Julio. There has to be more to this life. There has to be more to, your, to, to God than what you're experiencing. Well, once I learned and taught my mind how to meditate and how to experience the original purpose for which God created, which experienced him as a teaching spirit for every aspect of my life, this is when true healing from generational things and trauma that I experienced in my mother's womb and a lot of the things that I experienced throughout life up until that point where I began to get schooled by God, that's where I began to get healing from all of those things. That's where I learned how to forgive the debts and the debtors of my life. That's when I began to learn how to be a mature forgiver and to really understand what forgiveness is really all about. And I'm, I'm telling you, it will bless you once you begin to experience that if you're not experiencing it yet. And with all of that being said on this slide, let me remind you that God always has a deep desire to rescue you from ignorance concerning any suffering in your life and to restore your mind to function according to the original purpose that He created your mind. And remember, what is the original purpose of, of your mind? To experience God as a teaching spirit. Now to summarize this slide, let me remind you or let me put this thought in your head if you don't mind. And that is this that God always has a deep desire to rescue you from ignorance concerning His will and concerning any suffering that you may experience. And He always has a deep des desire to restore your mind according to the original purpose for which He created, which is, again, to experience Him as a teaching spirit for every area of your life within your soul. 
And remember that again, that when you're experiencing God according to this function, then you're experiencing the Christ, the revealer and the healer. And remember, that's that son, that's that redeemer that I share the knowledge about in my books and also in prior videos. Now let's go to the last topic that I want to share with you concerning this episode, and that is the repurposing of all of your former or God-assigned sufferings for good for your life. Now Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who what love God and are called according to His purpose. There's two conditions here. First of all, there's a love of God, right? And then there is this thing called according to His purpose. Now, according to His purpose is, again, and this may sound strange to you, but this is a reference to hearing the voice of God, the purpose giver. You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, everybody's trying to discover their purpose. But for those of us who are believers, that are Christians, or that are spiritual, whatever you label yourself, the reality is that we have an inherent voice that will reveal to you the purpose for which he created. You know, let, me, let me describe that different. The purposes, it's plural by the way, why God created you. In other words, the reasons why you exist on this earth. So when you look at all of your former sufferings, no matter what happened or how it happened or how traumatic it is, once God schools you on them, then you can repurpose those suffering events for good. Same thing with the, the sufferings that are assigned to your life. Let me just quickly uh, uh, tell you, and remember this is in a video I have concerning the three types of suffering. In all of our lives, we experience sufferings that we do to ourselves, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And then we also experience sufferings that others impose upon us, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And then the Bible describes sufferings, the sufferings of Christ. And these are the ones that God reveals to you. In other words, it has to do with your life purposes. So suffering isn't always necessarily a bad thing. What we have to do is to root out and to settle and to heal from those that are not assigned to our life. Those that may be negatively still affecting our entire being. So to personalize this, let me share with you how I've repurposed some of the sufferings in my life. I've had suffering that began in my mother's womb. And I'm talking about generational iniquities and other things that I've shared with you primarily in my first book, The Mystery of Iniquity Revealed. And some of that, of course, uh, connected to how I was born into a very dysfunctional family where there was no nurturing love, financial poverty, divorce, depression, drug and alcohol addiction, and numerous types of sexual deviation. Uh, one of the sufferings that I experienced in my life was mismanagement of finances, even while being a traditional church member. You know, uh, I was misappropriating tithes. Uh, tithing, again, is very biblical, but it never was and it never will be about you giving 10% of your money away to a church. Trust me, tithing is very biblical again, but when you do a deep study into tithing, uh, what traditional high religion has done is use certain verses to justify that type of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, by the way, is proper giving. If you are giving into your church, that's the way you should give. In other words, according to the purposes that God reveals to you within your mind, so you don't be a grudging giver and you become a cheerful giver so that God can tell you everything about how to give, what to give, where to give, how much, I mean, the whole nine concerning giving. Once God taught me this, 
And I went back into the scriptures and examined all of the verses related to tithes and tithings and Malachi chapter 3 and all the other verses. God simply, like I said, took me through a whole Bible study concerning that concept. That completely restructured the, the finances for my life. Where now I, uh, I'm, I'm prospering in all kinds of areas. Not because I'm not giving money away, because I still give. I still uh, financially support certain ministries or certain uh, events, whether it's to the poor or the widow or people who have need of. But how I do it is how God schools me on it. In other words, I give according to how God instructs me to give. That's where to give, how to give it, how much. And then through that process, again, God reveals to me that the reason why he's encouraging me to give. And that's how I become a cheerful giver, because I'm, I'm, I'm blessing God by doing so, because I'm giving accurately in, the, in the, uh, the uses of my financial resources. Some of the sufferings that I also experienced had to do with my former marriage mindset. And I've shared knowledge with you in the past and how I really I wasn't a good father to my children and a good husband to my wife, even though we had everything and there was no secret sin for lack of a better expression in my life. But yet I was unfathered by God at that point in my life. And as a result, I really wasn't the best husband or best father or even a son to God until I learned to experience that. So with that being said, I wasn't properly fathered in my home or in church. As I mentioned before, I didn't really get no deep knowledge concerning what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 and Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is truly teaching. And this is really teaching about going within your mind to experience the mind of God for every aspect of your life. And then, of course, I definitely was not understanding nor experiencing God's original purpose in, the re in, in terms of why he created the human mind and the Bible. Remember, the reason why he created your mind and my mind is to experience him as a teaching spirit for every area of your life. And the original purpose that he created the Bible or the book that we call the Bible is to be used as a teaching resource in order to experience the inherent word giver within you. In other words, to experience the spoken word, the anointing, and all these other expressions concerning hearing the voice of God that I share with you in prior episodes and in prior slides in this episode. And because of that, I had a lot of suffering that I went because of my traditional religious experience, because there was no key of knowledge instruction like I'm doing with you through all, all the things that I share with you. Remember what the key of knowledge is. The key of knowledge is teaching, spiritual teaching that can be coupled with using sacred documents, i.e. the Bible and other biblical, spiritual or, or other forms of, of content like the Torah and things like that. But to use those resources, not just to read the, the, and study, you know, what these uh, uh, what these events happen, but to use them to teach you how to unlock the knowledge of God within your mind. I wasn't taught to experience that. I never knew what the key of knowledge was until God revealed it to me. And that I saw it in the scriptures. So I understand why he said, and you don't, and talking about the religious leaders, why you don't go in and, and talk about going in within the mind to experience the kingdom and how you hinder those who are attempting to go in, which is happening a lot nowadays, unfortunately. And then lastly, and this is not all of it, 
how God schooled me concerning my death and, and, and encouraged me to have a different perspective about hell, in other words, suffering on this earth, and taught me and revealed to me and also led me to resources to prove this to me. I had needed proof because I was so indoctrinated to believe in this devil that was creating all this evil in my life. But no, God schooled me on those things and how I now understand that we have this inherent serpent or inner adversary mentality, which again is a reference to the serpent brain that I mentioned before. Trust me, study the triune brain theory and it will definitely make more sense to you. To end this episode, I want to suggest a resource, and that is, of course, uh, my book, The Mystery of Prayer Reveal. It's my second book in my three-book series, and in there, I won't read all of this. I won't bore you with all the details. You can go also on uh, Amazon and check out the book content there and see. But in this book, what I did, most people who teach prayer, teach prayer from how to talk to God, quoting scriptures, thanksgiving, asking for forgiveness, you know, and all that stuff has its place, and there's nothing wrong with that if it makes you feel all right. But... The reality is prayer should be an educational event all the time. In other words, in this book, what I do is I break down Jesus' prayer life and I share with you the knowledge that was revealed to me concerning how morning by morning he would position himself to hear as the learned. Remember Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 and 5 and how in, in Mark 135 he would do this every morning at the beginning of this day of his day. This is the reason why I encourage you to learn and to experience it at the beginning of the day so you can know what you know what God has to say for that particular day pertaining to your life. So there, this book is actually broken up into three uh, uh, parts in terms of the title chapters there's 15 of them but i have a lot of content where i break down the our father template um, and then i of course go into other aspects concerning prayer uh, chapter 8 for example is a logos book on your life that's where you'll see that we all have one and then of, of course in chapter 7 i show you one of the most important parables where jesus said if you don't know this one how can you know all of the other ones that parable is about experiencing prayer within your mind. That's a father ground. That's a good ground. And the three other types of prayers that we're instructed, unfortunately, in many traditional religions to, to, to pray that hinder our experience with God in terms of experiencing him as an educator. So if you haven't read it already, uh, I highly encourage to, to, for you to check it out. So again, if you're interested in any of these chapters, I will definitely send you a free copy of any of these chapters so that you can kind of get a little insight into how I write and how I teach. And, and within this book, there's 182 pages. I have 168 footnotes in this book where I share with you where I get my knowledge from. And the appendix, I have some other uh, additional knowledge. So again, if you're really interested in learning how to experience prayer with God as an educational experience where you're hearing his voice, hearing his thoughts again, and actually learning how to sit attentively like a student Position your body as his educational temple and your mind as his classroom and your spirit as a student. Well, then this book is for you. And then lastly, just as some suggestions. Again, remember, this course is called Teach the Teacher. So learn from others, but only allow one to teach you. And I explained that concept in prior episodes. So learn from me, learn from others. That's cool. Of course, we can learn from other human beings, but eventually you have to filter all of that knowledge when it relates to spirituality by this thought process. What about this person's teaching is teaching me how to go within my mind to experience the teacher, the Christ, the one within. So again, 
Don't be afraid to go outside of me or, or to learn other meditation techniques and processes to calm and still your mind. Don't, don't be afraid to do that. Trust me, it'll bless you. But filter all of that knowledge with, again, what does this information have to do with teaching and training me how to experience God as an educating spirit within my mind? So as always, continue to make any necessary adjustments to your room, your space. Uh, remember, if you're having problems calming your mind, contact me. I'll help you out. But I've already revealed to you in prior episodes, especially in the beginning of the series, how you can do that on your own. And as always, use your newfound understanding and application of the written word that I'm sharing with you in these episodes, if it is new to you, to teach you how to experience the spoken word of God. In other words, the voice of God within. And then this is my recommendation from now on throughout the next few episodes of this, of the completion of this series. And that is this. If you're not doing so already, begin practicing having these self-to-self, what I refer to as God-to-God, spirit-to-spirit, or offspring-to-father conversations with yourself, either mentally or verbally. And let me just pause there to explain to you how I do this right quick. And of course, I have tons of content on my, on my YouTube channel uh, concerning this, how to discern the voice of God, how I hear the voice of God, and all this other stuff. And also in the beginning of this series is that when I sit to hear and learn from God, the majority of the time, what I'll do is I'll speak in what I refer to also as the first and second person. You know, first being God, second person being me. So whenever I hear God, I'm verbally saying things like, you know, for example, just to give you a quick example. When I sit down, you know, I always kind of get a greeting from God. Good morning, my son. You know, and I repeat that, you know, and I'm glad that you're here. You know, I'm just giving you an example. And today I want to share some knowledge with you concerning this. And then he goes into the teaching. You know, and it doesn't happen like that all the time. Sometimes it's me initiating the conversation where Father, you know, I'll, I'll come out here. I always call God Father. I call him exactly the same thing that Jesus called him. Father, what's your will for me today? What is it that you want to share? You know, so I come with an empty mind. In other words, whatever it is that God wants to school me on, whatever his curriculum is for that particular day, that's how I do it. And then what I do to add emphasis, to add a more of a dynamic experience is that I begin to speak what God is saying. In other words, I speak what he is saying and then I use what I refer to as the art of asking questions, which is actually an ancient Hebraic form of learning. Remember, this is the reason why Jesus always answered a question with a question. It's actually a rabbinic process of learning because what do questions do? they produce answers. So when you ask a question, quiet yourself. So for example, going back to the experience about when God told me that he wanted to take me to a place where I had never been before. Well, you know, that's happened in my living room, you know, and here I am thinking location, another church, another ministry, you know, another job, another city, you know, another how, I mean, location, right? But yet I was taught to experience what I'm referring to you here or what I'm suggesting is the art of asking questions. I began to ask God questions. Father, where is this location? And I just silenced myself to learn. And then quickly after that, God said to me this. He said, where I want to take you is within my mind. You have yet to experience this, my son. And th that just blew me, I mean, that just messed me up but in a good way. And here I thought all along that I was in the will of God and I was doing all these great things and teaching and creating curriculum for church. I mean, I was doing all of these things that were good, you know, but they weren't right for my life. In other words, I wasn't experiencing the righteousness of God. And that day, 
began my journey to learn how to meditate. So again, use questions. So if you believe that God, you know, once you discipline your mind to calm itself, to really focus on one thought process at a time that I shared with you in the prior episodes in the beginning of this series and in other episodes that you'll find on my YouTube channel, once you believe that God is talking to you, trust me, ask questions. Otherwise, if you just get a word from God, you're only experiencing the 30-fold. You're only experiencing the good of God, but you're not ex ex experiencing the 60 or the 100 or remember the acceptable or the perfect will of God. We want the 100. We want the totality. So the art of asking questions will do that for you. So again, ask questions and silence your mind to hear the answers so that you can get the totality of what God wants to teach you for that particular day. And then as an added bonus, and which would definitely enhance your experience, consider recording these events either in writing, you know, I journal my experiences a lot when God is speaking to me, or else audibly, I can't show you because I'm recording my phone, I'll use the voice recorder on my phone to actually uh, record some of the conversations with God. And then what I will do is I will replay them throughout my day. And by doing so, what that serves me is as a reminder of the conversation but it also serves as challenging my mind to really be a deeper a thinker concerning what I experienced that morning. And I'm telling you, this is the benefit. This is the payoff of that experience is that you'll learn to do what Thessalonian talks about. Thessalonians, one of the books of Thessalonians talks about when it talks about praying without ceasing. This is where I get, for those of you who follow my Facebook that I posted about three weeks ago about my affirmations. My affirmation, one of my uh, primary three affirmations is this. My mind is trained to hear God's thoughts. In other words, His voice for every facet of my life. Because of this, all day and every day, conversations with Him are always happening. For me, this is praying without ceasing. Trust me, this is part of that benefit package that I described to you before. Once you teach and train your mind in a meditative mindset, in a place of silence, in your closet, wherever that is, and it doesn't have to be like this. In other words, it's just a, simply a place of undistracted, when you're not distracted by, especially by other human beings. And the true closet that I'm speaking about is the closet within your mind. Remember that interesting verse where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open it, I come in and sup with him or dine with him. That's a meditative template. So in other words, God is always knocking on the door of our mind. The question is, are we hearing that knocking and are we responding to that knocking so that God can, for lack of a better expression, can walk in. And this again happens within your mind, your soul, to become this educator for every facet of your life. That all I do is talk about, and that is experiencing God as a teaching spirit for every facet of your life. So again, how I almost always end my episodes, I want to leave you with this thought, and that is this. Always remember that the greatest learning environment that you and I have access to on this earth today is already inherently present within our minds. Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And with that environment comes the greatest spiritual advisor, counselor, therapist, teacher that you will ever experience for every facet of your life. And that is the Christ, the Spirit of God Himself. So until the next episode, stay blessed.